less afraid to fail. And that's what I think is funny. I focus on my failures and everyone else focuses on my successes. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, your host, and here to give you a space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic, is taboo. In this episode, I chat with Rich Jones and Marcus Garrett, hosts of the popular podcast Paychecks and Balances. We chat about the differences between the idea of outward success and how it's not always cracked up to be. We also got candid about our feelings on how others respond to our upbringings or our, air quotes, advantages in life, and it's merely our parents looking out for our best interest. Now, I want to continue the conversation with you, so please make sure to listen to the end for some juicy questions on how to help you live beyond the dollar. By the way, this episode is sponsored by my course, Freelance Writing Kickstart. As you may know, I've run my own freelance writing business for quite a while, and I've shared what I've learned along the way and helped others leave their jobs or earn a healthy side hustle income. Since so many of you have asked, I've created a step-by-step process to help you cut the overwhelm when it comes to starting and sustaining a successful freelance writing business. Right now, I'm offering listeners 10% off the course using coupon code BTDLISTENER. To check it out, go to www.beyondthedollar.co backslash FWS. Don't forget to use the coupon code BTDLISTENER in all caps to grab your discount. To find resources shared in this episode, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. Get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Hey guys, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. I am so excited to have both of you on today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Just a reminder, can you just say hi, Rich? (laughs) Hi, Rich. (laughs) Maybe I should. Okay, let me do that again. Hey, Marcus, can you just say hello to the audience? Hello, this is Marcus. I'm talking to the audience, a member of the co-host of Paychecks and Balances. Yes, which is, oh my goodness. I just listened to the episode with Kelly from the Fire her experience at the fire festival, which, oh my gosh, insane. I will link that to that in the show notes because that is an insane story. And I hope no one else ever has to go through anything like that. Yeah. And really the fact that she that. paid. Yeah. I was like, the fact that she paid and, and went, which is insane. So I brought you two on because we had a great, or Garrett, former co-host, started a great email thread about this. And so I think this is a really important and interesting conversation is about the idea of the struggle. Like, where, you know, when somebody becomes, you know, I'm going to put this in air quotes, successful, it almost feels like people don't want to hear what we have to say. Maybe they don't want to hear about what has happened to us. And I'm generalizing here. And I don't know, are they thrown shade? Is that the term? I feel really old when I say that. <laughs> That's correct. But yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So yeah, let's let's dive into a little bit about that because, you know, you guys obviously have a very successful podcast, you know, and I think you shared a little bit about you guys growing up and really what happened. So I don't know who wants to go first, but you want to share your experiences growing up and feeling like you didn't really fit in because you were perceived as more successful or better than the people around you. Yeah. It's weird for me because it's not so much about personal finance just as, and it's more so about just my experience growing up overall. And I talked about this on another podcast recently, but 
for me, I was someone who lived next to the projects and I grew up having both parents in my home, which I understand that nowadays that that is even considered a privilege in some ways. And for me, it was much more personal in that, you know, when I went to school, the way that I talked, the way even that I went home where my dad would come and get me from school, that wasn't an experience that was available to everybody else. And so I had this constant struggle growing up where it was kind of, oh, like you're, you're not cool enough to be part of this group. You're not dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with, but then going home and then interacting with people who didn't live up the hill, as I used to say, but then also not fitting in with them because, you know, I'm the black kid across the street and then everyone else in the neighborhood is, is pretty much white as I think back and, and I looked around it. But as far as, you know, personal finance specifically, it's not something that really ever came up as a conversation growing up. And it's not something that really ever came up as I was talking to other kids. For me, it was just kind of, I would see my parents paying bills. I would see them sit at the kitchen table. And I've heard other people talk about this where they see their parents sit at the kitchen table. They see them paying bills. And I actually got used to seeing my parents pay credit card bills, but at the same time also be carrying a balance. So to me, it was okay to carry a credit card balance. Like that's just normal. That's what you do. And so after I got to the point of of being in college and, you know, I got the Frisbee, I got the T-shirt, I got whatever else, and I signed up for credit cards and then I would go to the Bursar or student loan office and get a refund check, not knowing that that would then become debt that I have to pay off later. To me, it was still normal to have debt. It was still normal to have credit cards. And that's just something that you expect to pay for for the rest of your life. And I guess I'll take it in, I guess, actually, now I was going to say five year segments, but I just realized how old I am. So it's 10 year segments. (laughs) So when I was in high school, or I guess really just growing up and I've made peace, if you will, with this as I've gotten older. But I kind of look back now and we, we were middle class and it's almost like something you have to be apologetic for now these days, especially talking about money and money management. Cause I take, so for example, my parents were in a position to pay for college and some people check out right there. There's some people going to check out right when I said that. And the thing is, they didn't just pay for college out of pocket. It was a conscious decision that they made. Texas has a Texas Tomorrow Fund. And I've talked a lot about this on the show, especially for parents, new parents. A lot of people don't know that a lot of states have either 529 plans or 529 equivalent plans. And Texas was one of them at that time. The fund actually went bankrupt and they brought it back, rebranded because branding is everything. The original fund was you could pay for if college was, let's say, 50000 at that time, you could pay $50,000 and lock in that rate. So as anybody knows, college quadrupled over the years. So that's why the fund went bankrupt. Now it's you buy the credits that the classes are at this equivalent now. So you basically buy credit hours. So you can buy it by the semester. You can buy it by a year, et cetera. But a lot of states have this. I think New Mexico, you can actually go to public school. It's either for free at a really cheap cost. Florida has a program. And a lot of people just never look into it, especially parents. And I felt almost this guilt for not having a struggling upbringing. But that was an interesting dichotomy because I never knew how much my parents made. I talked about this on another podcast as well. Rich might be referring to the same one. We did an interview (laughs) with the Brown Ambition podcast, you know, I like to shout out people when applicable. And it was, okay, you almost feel apologetic for these positive things that you had no control over. Like this is decisions that my parents made when I was a child. Like 
my bad. Like, I don't know what to say here. And it put me in a positive position, but it's like, well, I want to repeat those decisions. These are things that I would look forward to doing for my children and my family. And I think it's about looking beyond my legacy and what I want to do because I don't have any children now. So I'm also starting to think ahead, okay, what difference can I make in the lives of others? What difference can I make in the community if I don't have, I hope that I do, but if I don't have children of my own, it doesn't just stop with me. And I think a lot of people are like, well, it's personal finance, so it only relates to me. And I'm like, yeah, that's true for 10 or 15 years, ideally until you either reach financial independence or if you put this plan together that you automate your funding and your these things that will benefit you. But ideally, the race ends. And that's why it's so strange. You know, I joked on one of our write-ups that when you don't have any money, you don't know what you're talking about, so no one listens to you. There's a brief period where you break out of the struggle and people are like, oh, okay, they know what you're talking about. So they start following you. And then you make a lot of money and people are like, oh, I can't relate to you anymore. You didn't sold out. It's like, yo, like I didn't come here to struggle forever. That's not what this game is about for me. And so I kind of tell people to rather than chastise every voice, find a voice, a representative, because representation matters, that resonates with you and then duplicate what works. It used to be if it doesn't apply, let it fly. And it's like now everyone needs to be or made feel guilty for success. And I, I'm kind of trying and I can't buy into apologizing for success that some other people in this particular circumstance, my parents had before me. And I'll end after this. I know I've been saying a lot. Oh, I look back now. And that's the clarity of hindsight. And I was like, well, actually, my parents were in that position because of choices my grandparents made. And, you know, we're basically three generations of positive decisions. Not everything went right, not everything worked out, but I'm where I am because of three generations of decisions. And my child will benefit from four. I want people to start thinking of, don't just think of your 78 years on average lifespan, like start thinking in your children and your children's I, children. I really and love that. Thinking about that, make a difference, that, in my opinion. you know, I guess success, I'm going to put that in air quotes again. Your success is really defined by generations before you. You know, as both of you were talking about, I'm thinking, yeah, when I grew up, my parents moved into a much larger home because I think my dad got a really great bonus in his job. And I felt like I couldn't relate to some of the friends who were living in townhomes, which, you know, whatever. But people like to compare. And and I'm even thinking about my grandparents and, and they were entrepreneurs. And now I don't know if that really influenced why I became one. But it, you're right. It's really interesting. And now that I'm thinking about college for my son, he's only three right now, but hey, it's 15 years away, everyone. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know. Like, it's really <laughs> interesting awesome. because awesome. the guilt sometimes, how do I put this in a way where I, I don't want to feel like I'm offending anyone. I'm going to probably offend anyone anyways. But the stereotype for a lot of immigrants, so because I'm technically an immigrant, like I'm you know, I was born in Hong Kong, moved to Canada, and then moved to the the U.S. And there's like this almost this stereotype where I have to struggle when I move to a new country. And I'm doing pretty well in terms of like finances, my relationships, friendships, everything. And so like, you know, I was talking to a few families the other week and it was like, you know, they've been working minimum wage jobs for years, trying to get their credit up, things like that. And I just felt this pang of guilt. Like I didn't have to go through any of that. But at the same time, you know, my story and even helping my son, like, why can't this be an inspirational story for other people knowing that like what I am doing is possible? 
And I don't want to like put myself on a pedestal and say like, oh, look at me, I'm so awesome. But hopefully, you know, maybe the guilt might go away in terms of like, if I'm just a story among the millions of other people that are, can be successful or have the potential to be, then why not continue to live the way I'm living now, you know? Go ahead, Marcus. I think this is quick. If I wasn't clear, and this is one thing that I get from both my mother and my father, and I wanted to point out to people because that's another thing that I saw. And I think like most people, you think your upbringing is everyone's upbringing. So it's actually just, I'm talking about recently, I realized that, okay, my experience wasn't everyone's experience. But I think a lot of people, that they have a finite mindset that the pie is limited. And the fact that there is a pie is in itself. So if you take a slice, that's taking away from my slice. There's only so much pie or cake for us to eat. So anyone who's successful is minimizing my opportunity to have cake. And I come at life really from an abundance mindset. I just feel like there's so much opportunity out here that the next person's success doesn't take away from mine. It's something for me to emulate if it's possible. And sometimes I look at people and I talk about this isn't a repeatable pattern. Like, okay, they may be rich and successful, but they have talents or things or avenues or opportunities that I would never be able to do. So rather than diminish what they've accomplished or access they have, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to switch and find the lane that is mine, that can be duplicated, that I can repeat, or I'll pick and choose the pieces of that story that I can do in my own life. And then the other piece I was going to say, we never talked about money in my house. We actually established a savings account for me like around age 16, which I didn't know was a unique experience. But it wasn't just something you talked about. And I talked to somebody else about this. For example, college was never like, this yeah. option. It was the next step. Like there was no other conscious time in my life where I was like, I'm not going to college. It just, that would be the 13th year in my life because that's what you do. And I remember <laughs> around age 18, and I, to this day, I don't know if he was serious. I think he was. He sat me down. I was about 17. He's like, so, you know, you're about to be 18. You're about to be a grown man, <laughs> which means you got to get up out my house. So you can go into the military you can go to school. He told me about that by that time, that public school fund. And we have any public school in the state of Texas. We'll be able to, you know, if you go outside the state of Texas, good luck, you know, blessings and high fives to you, but you're on your own. <laughs> and, you know, but at 18, you got to make moves. And I was like, oh, like I got to start figuring this life thing out. You know, I'm about to be an adult, according to this, you know, my father. And I went 18 years without ever knowing really that my parents had money. The only time I knew my parents had money is I'd go on a date. I'd bring a girl home and she's like, oh, y'all live in the suburbs. I'm like, we do? <laughs> what are you talking about? It was like other people like, oh, y'all are, y'all are doing okay for yourselves as far as their perspective of what okay was. And the first time I realized we had money is, and I, they had to tell me I was filling out the FAFSA. And it's only because they're not, you know, they're parents. They're not very good at technical stuff. And I was like, hey, I need your income returns. And when I saw what my parents made, the rage <laughs> that ran through me for 17 years, I'd been struggling. <laughs> I mean, they always, you know, they put a roof over my head and they gave everything I need, but they always made it seem like they were broke. And I mean, I look back now and it's like they had money. That was, there was their mindset. Like, we got money. You broke. You are broke. So like, you do whatever you got to do. Like, we the ones with the money. You ain't got no money. And, you know, the story I've shared, unfortunately, Rich has heard it before, but my dad told me one time that, one year when he was young, he got an apple for Christmas and he looked at his father and he said, is this all for me? And like, that's the alleged mentality. He had me believing that he was just struggling. Like we were just struggling to make ends meet. 
and we were actually doing okay. But I, I tell people like it can be yeah, done and it and might start with you. Know you know what's really weird? And I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking, I'm listening to Marcus and I'm thinking about what we're talking about today is how the idea of class kind of changes as you get older. So, you know, I talked about living next to the projects, but not living in the projects. And so you were considered one of the kids down the hill. And both of my parents were janitors, which today, you know, having both parents be janitors, I'm sure that there are various cities across the country where you could live comfortably off of those salaries or or off of that hourly pay. But now when I talk to people, it's like, oh, well, my parents are a doctor and a lawyer or, you know, I have a parent who's an accountant, this. And so part of what's been challenging is having these conversations and having people say, oh, well, you went to this school and oh, well, you had both parents and oh, now you work at this company. And also considering that neither of my parents went to a four-year university. My mom, I think, didn't complete high school. My dad, I think, did an associate program or got a certificate at a local college in Albany, New York. And so people make these assumptions about me, but they don't consider the actual work that I've put in and not considering even the message that I may have gotten at home. So despite the fact that my parents didn't have all of these things that I have now, and that creates a weird feeling in itself where my mom is very much of the mindset of, oh, you're going to pay for dinner. So that means I got to give you $20. And I'm like, no, mom, I got this. Like, I can afford to do this for you. This is okay. And I remember a couple of years ago, I got a few of my family members, uncles, cousins, gifts for Christmas. And my uncle, who my mom's brother, felt the need to then give me the exact amount of money back for that gift. And so it's like, it's weird because people sometimes make these assumptions like, oh, you're privileged. You're not one of us. Like, oh, you had this experience. So your story isn't as relevant. But at the same time, the people who've led to me being in the situation that I'm in have come from a lot less. And I've learned a lot from that as well. So it always and I think it goes back to the whole identity conversation because it always feels weird where it's like, hey, like I did not struggle. I wasn't, you know, rubbing pennies together. You know, I wasn't eating bread with government cheese. like That wasn't my experience growing up. However, it also wasn't easy. And I think there's probably a lot of difficulties that my parents faced that I didn't see and I didn't understand because I was a kid that now I realize there were probably conversations that they had when I wasn't in the room about money and figuring out how they were going to make things work. So it all feels very weird even now when I have these conversations and someone says, Like, oh, you know, this story isn't as relatable or, oh, yeah, of course that worked out for you. But I'm like, yeah, but like there's a whole background that (laughs) I don't think you understand that ultimately led to me being in the that ultimately led to me being in the position that I am in today. Yeah, no, I love that. I think sometimes when I have conversations with people and they tell me, oh, you're so lucky to be in this position or whatever, sort of same variations or different variations of that is I'm, I'm thinking in my head, like. You're only seeing the end of the story or the end of the journey, you know, so to speak. You haven't seen what it was really like. Like I remember growing up and my father decided to start a business. And so everyone just automatically assumed we were like millionaires. And behind the scenes, there's a lot of, you know, chasing late payments. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, we just like our profits were like enough to cover the rent, you know, things like that. And so. Part of it, I think people don't 
you know, generalizing here, but a lot of people don't necessarily want to see the work that goes into that because they don't necessarily want to do the work themselves. Like that's like in my experience, that's what I've seen whenever I talk to people about, you know, even how did I reach such a high income in a few years with freelance writing? And then I tell them like I actually needed to do to reach that. And then so a lot of them go, okay, well, that's a lot of work. So I think for them, they almost want to put this distance between themselves so that I don't want to say it's an excuse. Maybe, yeah, maybe for them, like it's an excuse or reason as to why, like, okay, I'm still struggling and you are just lucky. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it makes complete sense to me. And I feel like that's something that we've even talked about behind the scenes where yeah, I remember when I, I paid off my, all my credit card debt, I paid off my car note a couple of years early. And part of how I was able to do that was because of where I work. So I work in Silicon Valley. I work in tech. I'm a staffing manager by day. And there are some things that I've gotten within my compensation and within my benefits that have allowed me to be able to do that sooner than a lot of other people who are in different situations would be able to. And so it's weird because it's like, well, yes, you work at X place or, oh, you've had X experience professionally. So of course you could do that. But at the same time, there were a lot of steps that I took to be able to get into this position. And even with going back to college, and I've actually had someone not run an interview because I mentioned that I went to Cornell University, you know, and it's like, oh, that's not going to be relatable. You know, that's not going to be as relatable. So, you know, that's not a, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to run that. And to me, like, that's a very weird thing. We're not celebrating the successes that someone has had because we can't identify with the particular level of struggle or lack thereof. And another thing that I want to point out, and honestly, maybe I'm pointing it out to myself. I mean, in some ways, maybe the podcast is really just me talking to myself and people just have the benefit of listening is, you know, when I came out of school and I tell this story because to Rich's point, and I think to your point as well, Sarah, is, you know, it, there's levels here and people ignore the entirety of the arc and then they only look at where they came in on the story and they're like, well, since I just found out about it, this is very millennial. The first time I find out about it is when it exists. <laughs> and so I made um, 19000 at my first job coming out of school. And that was less than I had made at my part-time job while in school. And I thought that was insane. I, and I got a degree in business. I point that out because I'm like, don't everyone who gets a degree in business make six figures? And I thought there was like some mistake. I was like, someone has screwed up somewhere. Like they need to run me my money. And like you learn that you still have to go through all of this. And now at the time it was miserable, but now I look back and I'm glad because I have no idea what I would have done if I started out with $100,000 coming out of school. Well, I have a great idea of what I would have done <laughs> and I'd probably be dead. <laughs> but it was the most painful, well, not most pain, painful, I guess that's dramatic. I did have a job, but it was a painful bruise to my ego. It was a knockout punch to my ego. But I'm glad ultimately that I did start at that $19,000 job so that I could appreciate what it was like to work and struggle and move up a career ladder to ultimately get to that success in a job and a position. And also to now in, with the clarity of hindsight, I better respect what my parents did and what they went through and what they provided for me. Because, you know, when I was young, I had 
no idea what my parents did for work. I just knew there was a roof over my head. And so my father's a little bit more private, but he was in a very well and respected position. Like he's been on TV and everything like that. He was also a professor and he still is. He still teaches a mentor. And my mom was a registered nurse. So yes, even if you didn't know what those professions are, you could reasonably guess that those two combined would be well for a, a household. You know, and like I said, we weren't wealthy, but we were doing okay. And either, you know, if you believe in nurture or nature, I just had that conscious or subconscious representation of, I didn't know what my parents did, but I knew they went to work and I knew they worked hard. And I know because we were always moving and traveling and my father moved a lot for him to move up in his job. My parents tell me a story now that I like, it's crazy what you black out, but my mom didn't live with us for like six months. <laughs> and I was a kid, I was in elementary school. So I just, she was there on the weekends, which is all that matters to me <laughs> because when you're a kid, like everything's about you anyway. And so when I look back, I was like, oh yeah, she was gone a lot. And they're like, yeah, she was getting her uh, registered nurse degree. She was going to like a top uh, program out here in the state of Texas. I was like, yeah, I guess she did live with us. They're like, you don't remember this? And I'm like, eh, it was like a blip in my little six-year-old life because she's there. And that's why I also now have an appreciation. She was there for the hours that mattered. And my dad worked a crazy amount. Of Dad's a workaholic now. It's always been in a positive way, but he can't retire. He's retired like three times. He can't stay retired. He's just, you know, he's just works. And that's all I really saw as a representative through him. But he was, the strange thing about that is I remember him working a lot, but he was at every track meet, which was like the most important thing to me in high school. And he was at every major event. I remember I won some random award through middle school, which, you know, maybe that'll be in the VH1 story. Now I won this random award in middle school for like, you know, personality and I was a complete introvert. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, which sucked because I'm in the middle of this cafeteria or gymnasium or whatever, and everyone's clapping. I'm like, I don't want to be here. And I got this little recognized and he was there. And that's what I'm talking about is he was there at the times that mattered, despite working 40, 50 and 60 hours, no doubt. And I just try to sh tell people everything now is such a, a dichotomy. There's only black and white. There's only right or wrong. And everything in my life has actually been nuanced, a spectrum of one through 10. It, I don't really operate at these extremities. And you can do both. Actually, you can do a lot. You can actually do a finite <laughs> or an infinite amount of things if they're a priority to you and they, you apply themselves. And to me, it's always been that first step is the plan, you know, putting a plan together to reach these successes if you fall into this camp in which you're chastising others for, what does your route to success look like? And then secure that first one. And guess what? It makes it easier to do that second one, which makes it easier to do that third one. And now, as, as Rich knows, like a lot of our opportunities, even this one in this very podcast, they're just organic. They just come from all the networking and speaking and writing. I mean, technically, we're dinosaurs. Oh We've been gosh. on the internet for like 15 <laughs> years writing in one capacity or another. Yeah, exactly. And now all that 15 years are like, people are like, yeah, I remember you back when you used to write on MySpace. I'm like, I don't remember me writing on MySpace. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I used to follow you. Remember I, I put you in my top eight. I was like, oh my God. You know, I sent you a glitter gif once. I'm like, this is very embarrassing. And that's what I'm talking about is, you know, that initial work, that $19,000 job is what set me up for success, successes, multiple successes. No, I love that. Later. I think, you know, I was just about to ask, and I think you've answered part of it, is that if someone is in that position where they want to better themselves and they see people around them that are, I don't know why I keep air quoting this, more successful, <laughs> let's just say have more money, 
and they don't feel like they can relate. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like you said, there's it's not black and white. It's not this, you know, like yes or no kind of dichotomy is is look at nuggets of somebody's story and what can you pull from it, even if it's just like a little bit of inspiration, even if it's like, oh, my gosh, they have the house that I've always dreamed of. Like, what can I do to figure out how to do it? I think maybe instead of I think for me, whenever I try to approach conversations with people who who do want to quit their jobs and who do want to freelance, right, or stay at home with their kids or, or you know, any variation that I always say, like, like, what are you like? Can you turn this into some sort of way where you're curious about what if, right? Like, what if I quit my job or what if I, you know, do stay at home with my son? Like, instead of just feeling like I can't relate, I can't relate, just start asking questions about like, what if this happens? And then think about, like you said, the plan, but also be really realistic about like, what am I willing to sacrifice or what am I willing to work towards to get what I want? And so, Sarah, I'm really glad you said that because I think there's a big mindset component of this conversation that I think often gets left out. And there's this whole idea of like a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset where I think sometimes, and of course there are societal factors, there are various economic reasons proven with data for why things are the way they are. But I do think that there are differences when I have conversations with people, with the folks who are really moving along in their career, or they're really moving along with their finances in terms of how they see these various stories and whether they pull inspiration or whether they look to debunk this other person's experience and in terms of what they've gone through and and where they're headed in life. And so I've noticed that there are the, oh, so you didn't struggle, you didn't do X, Y, Z, you didn't have to claw your way up, so therefore your experience is invalid versus saying, oh, okay, maybe this person didn't have the same experience as me. However, there are some things that they did that really worked out for them that I can do too. And so I'm going to try to implement those things. And I wish that that was a bigger part of the conversation because I've noticed a lot of what we see in the personal finance space is the from X thousand dollars in debt to, you know, being cash flow positive to X dollar amount. And oftentimes those are the struggle stories, you know, versus the story where someone says, I made good career decisions. I made good professional moves or I took these steps, even though I wasn't in this hyper disadvantaged position. And that's what led me to where we are today. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I think we need more stories of all facets of how it works. I think people almost, I don't want to say they, yeah, in some ways are like attracted to the, I struggled and then here I am because it makes for a good story in some ways. I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I don't think any of us aspire for our children to have to work harder than we did, which I've always wondered about where it's like, well, okay, so you're saying, you know, this person didn't struggle as much as you. And there may be reasons for that that are tied up in class, social status, whatever else it is. But I know that right now, and, and I feel like I've worked pretty hard to get to where I am today, but I don't want my kids to have to work this hard. And so for those of us, especially within the personal finance community or, you know, professional development community, however you want to define it, all this work that we're doing today, we're doing this work so that when we have families, if that's something that we want in the future, that our children won't have to struggle, that it'll be a little bit easier for them. And of course, there's lessons that we'll want to impart upon them. But I don't think any of us are doing all this work to then have our kids like have to work harder than we do. So I, I've always found that to be a, a weird part of the conversation. Yeah. And I mean, I agree. And 
I don't know that that's, or I've come to appreciate that that hasn't been everyone's reality. And I think what helps me is that I, I don't try to talk down to that. I actually try to be very conscious right. about, okay, this has been my experience and I understand that your experience may be different, but here is the various things that work for me, which is why I always encourage people to find the relatable or representation that does work for you. And then, you know, I'm actually perfectly fine. You listening to that story or going to that advice or going to that insight. That's why I think we have so many guests on the show to tell the breadth of the experience. And one other thing that I I kind of realize more aligns with my personality, but I do try to encourage in people because we believe very highly in, in mentoring and, and networking. I, I have an open mentor program right now that I work with a few individuals on. And it's been really cool. It's a 360 relationship. So it's really good to also see an impact that you can have in someone's life. But one of the, not first, but definitely I say it repeatedly, insights that I have for people is it doesn't matter what I tell you. I'm here to answer any questions you may have. I'm happy to do this and you know build this relationship. But it doesn't matter until you see it in yourself. And I say that because my first formal mentor, I guess technically you always have informal mentors, could be your parents, is someone came up to me. It was, uh, it was actually a friend now and it was my boss at the time. And he specifically asked like, hey, I'd like to mentor you because he saw... A, an opportunity, a capacity for growth in me that I did not see in myself. So of course I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> Cause I didn't even know what the hell he wanted. And then he put in a formal program to get me to see in myself what he saw in me, or at least to see in me what I was capable of. And he put me in these opportunities, really these stressors because you know, it's changed. It, like it used to stress me out. So one example was he wanted me to improve in speaking, which is funny now because I'm on a podcast. And I've talked to him after this. I, I really didn't care for it at the time. I really still don't care for it, but it worked. He'd do these friendly fire exercises. So within the office or whenever an opportunity where he knew I knew the information because I'm an introvert by nature. I like to collect information. I'll sit there and shut up and not talk all day if you give me my opportunity, if other people are willing to talk. And he would specifically go, and hey Marcus, what do you think about that? And I'm like, what? Because uh, 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 I like to have all my notes and be organized. So it forced me to go off the, my top of my head. And I kept asking him, like, why are you doing this? <laughs> I don't do that. Or let me know when we're going to talk. And he just, he said, I know you know this information. I need you to know you know this information. And now, of course, it sucked at the time, but it, and now I try to instill that in other people. The only difference is, like I said, I tell them, <laughs> hey, we're going to do this exercise versus just put a, you know, uh, the hot, uh, the, the trial of the hot seat, if you will. But you don't realize those things. And actually now what I tell people is if people keep telling you that you're good at something, you're a good speaker, you're a good writer, you're a good insert anything that you are, start believing them. Because especially if it's beyond your mom and dad, they're probably right. And it'll be years before you see it in yourself. It might be never if you wait on yourself to realize it. So start putting yourself in opportunities to prove them right and get that validation. And then what I've, I've learned over the years is you start to get evidence. You're like, oh, a lot of people are saying I'm a good speaker. Man, a lot of people click that video. Man, people are reaching out to me to speak now. I might have something here. And I'll kind of end with, quote, being open to opportunity. but. I actually don't like a lot of the cliche terms of, you know, cup half full. I think Rich, you know, I had a whole <laughs> argument almost <laughs> during really an interview uh, for a job I was trying to get about this cup half full mentality because they were asking me, they're actually worried that I was going to, which is funny, leave and go do the podcast full time. And I was like, well, 
what if I do? You will get the best of me. You'll get 125% of me for the time that I'm here. And I kind of, I thought it was a strange question, but I now kind of realized they wanted me to commit to forever. And I'm like, I can commit until I'm financially independent because that's what I'm striving for. And they're like, well, you know, it's cup half full. At least you got half your life going right. And I'm like, why, why can't I have all of it going right? Like, well, I want my cup to be awful and runneth over. <laughs> like, I, I can't stop at cup half full. Like, where, how did we get here? And the reason I tell people that is if you're shooting for half full, what happens when you miss? You know, if you're shooting for full, I can understand going down to half. But if you're shooting, you're already settling for a half. It's already a struggle just to get there. Then you're setting yourself up for, I, I don't even I don't know where we're getting at right now, one fourth full. And it's like, I'm, I'm shooting for it to run over. And I'll, I, a cup half full is great, but that's not what I'm shooting for. That's not what I'm aiming for. That's not say, my That target. needs to be put on a t-shirt. If you guys have a merch store, like there's your idea right there. <laughs> We've been working on that merch store for like a year now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, there you go. We're going to keep you accountable here on the podcast, right? Appreciate it. I love that. I, that. You know what? I... Yeah, I just love that. That is a really great mindset shift for anyone out there if they want to reach financial independence or even pay off their debt or whatever the next milestone is, is to to aim for the, you know, I would say like a waterfall. I'm, I'm imagining a waterfall. Maybe that's, that'll be my, in my merch store one day. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, look, so as we wrap up, I always ask every guest this question. So how are you guys living beyond the dollar? Ooh, in a positive or a negative way. <laughs> You take that question wherever you want. <laughs> you know, one thing that I think about that's probably more on the negative side is actually lifestyle inflation. So this year is the first year that I've actually had a financial advisor. So previously I was doing everything myself and I got to this point where I said, you know what? I'm good at managing my money. I have a podcast that's about money, but given that I ultimately have aspirations outside of corporate America... I think I need someone else who has a bit more expertise to help me figure out how to get all these things together because I always find myself in these conversations where it's like, oh, you got to think about healthcare and now you're not getting these other perks and benefits from work and X, Y, Z. And I realized that over the past probably two to three years in particular, how as I've earned more, I've also stepped up my lifestyle, but I've gotten to the point now where I realize if I ultimately do want to be able to walk away from the day job that I can't afford to move to a nicer place. So where I'm at now, and I know that the uh, lease with the rent renewal increase is coming up probably in the next few months here, but where I'm at now is where I need to stay. If I have this dream and I ultimately want to realize this goal of being able to walk away and focus on podcasting or focus on helping people full time. So now it feels like the focus for me is one, how can I make more money in addition to my day job to help me get to this goal and this savings amount that I need to have sooner? But then two, how can I also save money and find opportunities to cut expenses that aren't going to have me feeling miserable so that I can live under the dollar? So that's kind of where I am right now. I'd say for me, and I appreciate Rich going first because I was able to take several notes. <laughs> it's, which, you know, like I said, it's still my personality. So say more yeses. And I, I think Rich has kind of seen that over the year because he's kind of been part of the, the latter arc. Although I think we've known each other like 10 years now. So I guess it's like half the arc, if you will, now. 
And so I just started saying yes to more opportunities because my thinking used to always be, so I'm an auditor by day. And so as an auditor, everything has to be fact checked. Everything has to be analyzed. It has to literally be quite triangulated with criteria and all these things, which probably means nothing to nobody else because no one facts checks things these days. (laughs) But I'm like, how could you not fact check this? That's like my reality. It's been my reality for 15 years. But I now kind of realize that works for work, you know, the nine to five, which I, you know, I've secured. But it doesn't really work in the reality because I was missing opportunities. I'm like, well, I'm not an expert in that. I don't know enough information about that. Uh, well, hold on. Let me go do my research. They're like, ah, I'll just go ask somebody in a tweet. And I'm like, what? Don't you want to fact check? And they're like, ah, I got my tweet. I'm good. And so I just started saying yes quicker and faster. And that has built its own momentum. And maybe that's the theme is I was going to say momentum and multiple income streams. Number two would be in being less afraid to fail. And that's what I think is funny. I focus on my failures and everyone else focuses on my successes. So I, I've now, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a good place. I, I have people reaching out like, oh, man, I, all you're doing is winning. All you do is win. I, I was like, I have failed way more often than I win. I've actually failed recently. And that, that failure story was I did say yes to something. People kept saying that you need to do voiceover. You need to do voiceover. I'm like, all right. So I'll try it up, set up this whole voiceover page, put it together. And this is actually a good exercise. And nothing. I think I sold one. <laughs> now, mind you, I, I, I don't think I marketed right. And there's all kinds of lesson learns. But, but it's again, it costs me nothing. I literally talk on the podcast already. So I was like, OK, I just need to record these snippets and put it out there. It's something I was already doing. So it didn't cost me anything. Technically, it's a failure because it failed flat on its face. But I, I learned from it. And what if it had taken off? Like, what if a thousand people had bought it? And that was my, you know, suddenly I'm doing it. Yes. And then when I reach financial independence speeches, <laughs> you know, you just got to try different things. And it's OK to fail this idea that, like, I can only shoot when I win. And that was the thing that I was looking up while Rich was talking. Curry, who's undeniably like at least a great three point shooter, depending what team you are a fan of, you might think, yeah, but, you know, he's a great three point shooter. <laughs> And his three-point percentage is uh, 43%. So he misses six shots for every 10. And he's the greatest three-point shooter that is like every play of the game. And I I just point that out to people. I like to talk in metaphors because my father's from East Texas, and that's where I get it from, is you don't have to win every time if you can be the greatest by hitting four times. Like, put yourself out there for those opportunities. Be open to opportunities. Move away from that cup half full. I want your cup to run it over and have a thousand years of success. And then lastly, for me, would be multiple income streams and this return on investment for all this work that I've done in the past. How can I either repackage or accelerate growth now? Because I've gotten to a point and I want to, you know, the people to hear that, like, Mind you, this is, you know, I'm 36. So <laughs> I'm on the wrong side of 30 and I'm nearing 40. It's like, like sometimes it's almost like this shame and confidence. I was talking to somebody about this recently. It's a shame to be confident. But now I've got evidence. I've got proof. I've hit four out of 10 shots. You can't tell me I'm not a good three-point shooter. Like I've done it. And if you don't like it, look at my game tape. Like it's, I've got proof. And now it's just, okay, how do I turn that into income, salary, multiple and independence? I guess that would be how I not only live beyond the dollar now, but plan to in the future. Love it. Gentlemen, where can everyone find you? Yeah. So on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at Paychecks. On Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at Paybalances and on Facebook at Paychecks and Balances because Paybalances wasn't available, unfortunately. And then <laughs> uh, you can also visit paychecksandbalances.com. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at I am Rich Jones and Marcus. You can explain yours. 
You can find me around the internet at the Marcus Garrett on Twitter with one T because I ran out of characters, two T's everywhere else on earth because that's my government name. There's another Marcus Garrett out there who keeps me humble, who's actually doing better with my name. He plays for Kansas State. Shout out to him. He's 17 year old. Apparently he's going on to the NBA and hopefully I could ride his coattails to the front page of Google. (laughs) But that is not me. I do not play for Kansas State. I am the other Marcus Garrett. Awesome. Marcus, Rich, thank you again so much for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Appreciate you having us. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rich and Marcus. So some of the takeaways I got from this episode is just to be proud of your situation, no matter what it is. I mean, it can be really hard to be empathetic at times if you see someone more or less, air quote, successful than you. But as you just heard, everyone starts with what they have, right? And the end of the day, your parents just want to give you a better situation. So if you can get a bit of a leg up on your financial situation or otherwise, right, be proud that your parents worked really hard for it. So today's question isn't really a question. It's just really a request (laughs) to reflect on your journey so far. I mean, what are you grateful for? Or What's one hardship that you went through and in retrospect really helped you to thrive in your financial situation? Now, this is something I'm absolutely interested in. So please, please, please come let me out on Instagram via the comments or DM at Beyond the Dollar. You can also email me hello at Beyond the Dollar. I love receiving emails. So today's question or comment, thank you so much. This is this person wishes to remain anonymous by email. So thank you so much for this question is, I've tried out your values-based spending guide. And so I've got a list of few values. I'm confused as to how I can use this to budget for fixed expenses. Can you help? All right. So I want to just break down what fixed expenses are, and then I will get into the answer. So fixed expenses basically are things that you kind of have to pay for. So think about your mortgage or your rent, car insurance, life insurance, electricity, things like that. And then you've not electricity, but car insurance and that. So fixed expenses are really what you are going to consistently pay typically the same amount for over a period of time. And then you've got variable expenses, which is groceries, because that can vary, eating out, entertainment, travel, all of that. So that's really the difference between fixed and variable. So when you're talking about values-based spending, it's really easy to think about variable expenses because then you could really think about, okay, do I need to go to this fancy supermarket? Is this a value of mine? No. So that can help you with budgeting your expenses, etc. Now, fixed expenses in some people's minds can be a little bit difficult because you obviously need a roof over your head. You need it. You do need car insurance if you want to be protected, right? Maybe those values of security are coming up for you and it can be very difficult. So maybe you realize that you don't be paying that much for car insurance, but again, it's part of a value of yours or you really don't want to pay that much for your mortgage. But again, you really love the neighborhood. That sense of community is very important for you, but you want to find some way to lower that amount. So if that's your case, anonymous, I want you to consider is it really necessary to save money on those things? And I ask that because is it based on you're trying to really cut back on everything and you want to increase your savings rate 
or you're living to paycheck to paycheck, or you're in a lot of debt, and you're just trying to find any way to cut back to pay down the debt. So come from that place where is it really that necessary? Or if it's not, is it something I just really want to do? So maybe, again, let's talk about the housing example. Like Security is very important to you like that neighborhood, but you just, you, maybe the house is too big for you. Maybe one of your values is essentialism, just kind of throwing that there. So essentialism, you can tie it to minimalism, like only have the things you need. Maybe this house is now too big for you and you don't really know how to adjust this. You want to you just lower that fixed expense. So one of the things that you can do in that example is, is there a way to find maybe a smaller home in another area? Can you rent out a room on Airbnb to kind of lower that expense? Can you refinance your mortgage? Is there some way to do that? Or really question whether or not you want to stay in that area. So when it comes to values-based spending, I didn't really give you a lot of like, here's a list of what to do once you discover your values, because it's really, really individual and based on your own you know, really, what do I want? It ultimately boils down to like, what do I want? And it's really, it can be difficult, but it can also be very easy because it's really just, again, based on what you want. It just requires you to be very honest and keep asking those questions. And something I like, a philosophy that I like to live by is just question everything, doubt everything. And by that, I mean, we sometimes have these belief systems or mindsets that are so ingrained that we believe that it's just that's the way it is when it's not necessarily true, right? Something that I have been really working with is the idea of home ownership versus rent. Like, what do I believe to be with both? And how can I question both? Like, how does this renting play into my values or home ownership play into my values? So, that's something that I'm really grappling with. And so, Anonymous, I really encourage you to just think about looking at the values and how it's playing out and not playing out in those fixed expenses. And then ask yourself, like, can I change this? Do I need to change it? Is it really necessary? And if not, find some other way to really to be happy. Maybe it's just you just want to be grateful for where you are now. That that could be as simple as that. So I hope that helps. And if any of you have any questions, again, response to today's episode or just general questions about money, money mindset, or living beyond the dollar in general, Again, my email is hello at beyondthedollar.co or come find me on Instagram at beyondthedollar. All right, see everyone next time. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram, on one of my posts at beyondthedollar, send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. And if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, don't you love the new intro music? Thank you so much to Donovan Durance for providing this awesome song.